Hey, it's Brian here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Go Be More podcast. At Go Be More, our mission is simple. We want you to chase your dreams. Our apparel is designed to be a constant reminder of your commitment. And this podcast aims to give you the motivation and mindset to get started and keep going. In this episode, John and I speak with two-time Olympian and World Championship silver medalist Kara Goucher about the ups and downs of her career and how she's working to improve the sport today. Kara had a lot of success running, but it didn't always come easily. She was a footlocker finalist as a high school sophomore and then got slower by the time she was a senior. She won NCAA championships at the University of Colorado and then went six years before running another personal best. She chose to have her son while still competing and dealt with numerous setbacks as a result. Through it all, Kara learned the value of patience, of trusting in herself and sticking with it, and she's taking that same approach in her fight against performance-enhancing drugs and to improve athlete contracts. Despite all her success, she maintains a charm and genuineness that truly sets her apart. This was a really fun conversation. All right, on to the episode. All right, Kara Goucher, welcome to the Go Be More podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you guys today. Kara, thanks again to saying yes. First of all, I wasn't too sure if we were going to be with it to get you on our show, but now that you're here, I got to tell you, I have been so giddy about this interview. Because <laughs> I've been paying attention to all the stuff that you've been doing, and Instagram is not like a, a, a world that I've actually been super comfortable diving into, but the more I have, you've probably been one of the few accounts that are profiles or whatever you call it. See, I don't know much about it, but <laughs> whatever you call those things on Instagram, <laughs> I follow you and I actually really have enjoyed learning more about you post running professionally. And so it, it really is something I've been looking forward to having you on the show. And I, again, just want to say thank you so much on behalf of our team to being on our show. Yeah, well, thanks, guys. I'm super excited that you guys are excited. <laughs> and yeah, this is fun. Well, Kara, we always start off by trying to find out a little bit about your background, your childhood, you know, some of your experiences growing up. And I know that you grew up in Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, mm -hmm. But outside of that, I've never been to Duluth. I don't know much about Duluth besides that I looked it up and it's on the lake it's near Wisconsin. So uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your childhood and sort of what it was like growing up in Duluth, Minnesota. Yeah, I love Duluth. I'm crazy about Duluth. If my husband wasn't so cold all the time, we'd probably live there. Um, <laughs> but uh, I actually was born in New York, in New York City in Queens. Um, my dad was an immigrant who settled there with his family. And when I was, I think when I was around three, my dad and mom actually bought a house in New Jersey. So I lived in New Jersey just briefly. And then okay. um, when can my I, little sister... Can I ask real quick, what, what country was your dad from? Uh, Croatia. Croatia. Okay. So, yeah. so yeah. he was born in Croatia. His father during the war came to the United States and it took him eight years to raise the money to bring over my dad and his sister and wow. my grandma. My, my uncle wow. came over after three years and helped my grandpa earn the money to bring the family over. So they are like, all of my relatives except for my dad's sister have now passed, but they, you know, there's still a home in Croatia that I'm like part owner of somehow, you know, that <laughs> 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 um, I've been to nice. twice. Um, I went in college and then I went um, after the Olympics in 2012. So what city is it in? It's in Zablache, which is a really, really tiny village right on the Adriatic Sea. And it's, you get, it's like a 10 kilometers from Split, which is a more famous yeah. area. So when I, a yeah. couple of years ago, I was living in Italy for a little while and we did a trip through Croatia and Croatia, the, all, all those towns on the sea are just amazing. They're, they're so beautiful. And uh, a lot of, oh gosh, I am forgetting the name of the food. Anyway, there's this uh, stew that ever all of us really liked a lot. Uh, and uh, why am I forgetting the name? But um, we had a great time there. And <laughs> other than that, I don't really know much about it, but beautiful, beautiful place. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'm not going to pretend like I'm an expert right, on Croatia. Right. Like my, my dad passed away <laughs> and then I, my mom, so when my little sister was five weeks old, my mom and my older sister and I flew to Duluth to visit my mom's parents because they hadn't met my little sister and my dad was going to meet us there. He was going to work a week and then join us for a week. And unfortunately he was hit head on by a drunk driver. He died instantly. 
And so we ended up only coming back to pack up the house. And then we moved in with my grandparents in Minnesota. So I didn't know that side of my family as well as I probably would have Mm -hmm. because we all lived by each other. Like in Queens, we had houses. I mean, I don't remember, but we had houses just down the block, all on the same block. Right. Um, Wow. But so... But so we we moved to Minnesota then, and then um, we lived with my grandparents for a little bit, and then my mom bought a home, and so that's how I ended up in Duluth because my my mom had grown up there. Can I ask what what was your mom doing? Did would, did she go to New York with a career, or or, or was she? I don't know. What, what was <laughs> yeah. her? Now, obviously, all of a sudden she became a single parent, so obviously I assume yeah. she ended up working and doing stuff as well at that point. Yeah, so she had gone to college, this little college called Ottawa University in Kansas, and my dad had gone there on a soccer scholarship. Okay. And so wow. they fell in love, and then he convinced her to marry him and move to New York. He needed, so he was actually a really good soccer player, and he actually played semi pro, <laughs> was actually drafted to play pro in St. Louis. But they weren't going to make any money, and he would have to work a job there to be able Mm -hmm. to play pro soccer. And it didn't make any sense. Like, he had two daughters at that time. So anyway, he go back to New York to to work with a family business. My grandpa had started an insulation business. And so my mom went with him and and finished up school at St. John's. And then she actually got her master's in education. So she was worked in – she worked with, like, special ed's kids um, in special ed. So. Anyway, yeah, but she, I, when I imagine her in New York City, I'm like, what? Because she's yeah. totally like <laughs> woods woman, like in the woods, on the lake. It's hard for me to picture her there. Yeah, I, and yeah. especially so young. I mean, I'm sure there might be some pictures and stuff, but I, I have the same sort of, I think back about like my mom and I try to imagine because she was 19 or 20 when I was born. So I was, she was very, very young. And I see the pictures and I think it's a little bit hard for me to imagine her yeah. as a, like a 19 or 20 year old like being married and doing all this like her, her lifestyle at that point but um so you guys end up back in Duluth and, and yeah. that means you have family still your mother's yeah. family is all there and and yeah. did, was it a large family other aunts and uncles other stuff as well or so my aunt actually lives in Colorado my mom's sister my mom's brother actually lived on the same street as me growing up so I knew his kids he has oh, wow. four kids Um, My mom was remarried for a lot of my childhood. Mm -hmm. She got remarried when I was seven. And so, and and my stepfather had three children. So we were sort of like the Brady Bunch for a while. Um, Unfortunately, yeah, it was a lot, like a very busy home because sports was really important. Activity was really important. Six total? Um, That means three? Six kids, yeah. So three from each marriage. And you guys are three girls, if I remember that correctly, right? Yeah, about the other side is it? There were two boys and a girl, and one of them, Andy. We were only six months apart, so we were quite close. But unfortunately, it ended in a a not very good divorce. It was not a healthy marriage. Um, Mm. Anyway, I had like this crazy chaotic house, you know, with tons of people. Uh Everyone in my family was like super athletic. My stepdad was really into sports. And I was like the flounderer. Like I wasn't really good at anything. <laughs> just like, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was really into dancing. and I was a pretty good dancer. And I was really into soccer because my dad was really into soccer. But like we had to play everything, which at the time I hated. But now as an adult, I appreciate it because I can watch tennis and I can watch baseball, basketball. I can yep. watch any sport. And I understand it. I know the rules. But also I, I appreciate how hard it is, right? Because I had yep. to do it. Yeah. But so, yeah. So, but I was always like the, you know, the little dancer one, <laughs> not, not super no, athletic. Did, were you passionate about dancing at all? Yes, I was super passionate about dancing and I danced until the end of my sophomore year of high school. And I decided to quit because at that point I had made Foot Locker, which was like a really big deal mm-hmm. back then. And I was oh, like, yeah. I was like, I think I need to like really focus on, I mean, I was still playing soccer and I was still in the band and I was still on the ski team, but I was like, <laughs> I don't think I can also dance two different days a week. <laughs> and I was like oh devastated. I was like crying. It was like so dramatic, but it was the right choice. I was, I was doing too much. I was burning the candle at both ends. Oh, did, did you make that choice or were you getting advice uh, from your mom or from your stepdad or from anybody was, or did you just say, I can't do all of this and, um, and excel? My mom was kind of like, I was really stressed out. Like I would have practice and then I go from practice to dancing from five to eight at night. Wow. And then I was also wow. taking music lessons. And so I just like, 
I was like never sleeping really. I mean, yeah. it all came down to like, <laughs> like my mom being like, you need to sleep. And she was just like, oh, you know, wow. you can keep doing it all, but I think you're doing too much. And, and she was right. I kind of needed that nudge. I love dancing so much, but in reality, it, I wasn't going to go anywhere with it. You know, right, like, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, someday I'll dance for you guys, but like, I, I thought it, was, uh, so it was definitely the right decision. And honestly, it was so much better. Like my, everything and like my life got a little bit easier when I quit yeah. because I just had more time. Yeah, addition by subtraction, right? You're, you're yeah, more yeah. time, more energy, more, about... more everything. Yeah. Just just because it's such a good theme. And, and honestly, it, you had actually mentioned it when we had talked, I think, last week for our pre-call. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but you had mentioned, like, you noticed that I was, I'm doing a lot of different things or that I'm busy doing a lot of different things. And it's funny, even at my age, I, I'm thoughtful of all the stuff that I have going on, way more conscientious about it. And I am subtracting, uh, doing addition through subtraction. So I have certain things I'm like, nah, that doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. But I know I'm building towards something. So as I'm being older, I think I'm being more thoughtful about it. But even then, but even with that being said, I know that I have to be careful because it is my personality to take on a lot, to fill my plate and just, I enjoy being busy mm -hmm. and uh, being older now and thinking back on that, what's your advice to people when you do notice that? Cause I know you, that you're probably mentoring and, and talking and consulting with all kinds of different people and different levels of different stuff. So what's your advice on that? Having had that realization so early on in your life, and I'm sure having to probably battle that because of the demand on who you are and, and what you could be involved in. Yeah, I mean, when I was little, I'm glad that like my parents, my mom and my stepdad, like we had to be in a musical thing and we had to be in a sport all the time. Mm. So like cross mm -hmm. country is over, now I have to do something else. And at the, I didn't always love it because I was the worst at everything else. You know what I mean? Like I was like <laughs> sitting in the basketball and I was like such a terrible tennis player. But I'm glad now because I learned time management. But also just what I said, like I, re I can appreciate other people and their skill level. Yeah. And I think it's good to not always be the best. I think sometimes now we see kids oh. specializing so young. Mm -hmm. And then when that's the only thing you do, what happens when it doesn't go well or you get hurt or I don't know. So I, I'm mm. glad I was busy, but then I have to laugh because when I became a professional athlete, I became lazy. I mean, not lazy, but like everything was focused <laughs> around running right. and yeah. nothing else, you know, like there was my husband obviously, but we had the same coach. We were running the same events. We were doing the same <laughs> workouts and it was like run, lift weights, nap, run, go to bed, you know, like so like nothing extra in my life during that time. That's interesting. Right. Well, when I think about kids now, I think of two things, two trends that seem overwhelming for a lot of kids. One is this desire to specialize. So you, if you play soccer, you have to play uh, club advanced Olympic training level soccer and you have to keep trying to progress because that's the, the way to get to be good at soccer. But then there's the other side, which is like to get into college or something. You have to have right. 15 activities that you're doing and you have to be volunteering and you have to be in the clubs, in the sports and all this stuff to sort of have the well-rounded experience. And I'm not at that point with my kids where I'm dealing with it exactly yet, but it just seems kind of overwhelming looking at the demands that get put on. And it seems like you had that experience doing quite a lot of stuff. I don't know, but it doesn't sound to me like it was done with a strategy of I'm doing this because I want to get to university. It's more just like I'm doing this because I'm interested in all these things and I'm... Yeah, no, it was never like you have to have this on your resume like that. I was never talked to like that as a child ever. Okay. It was just yeah. like, you need to yeah. do other things and you need to learn to take direction from some other people and you need to learn how to work with other people. And those are like lifelong skills that like mm -hmm. help you for the rest of your life. Like my son, he's like, I don't want to do that anymore, you know? But I'm mm -hmm. like, no, mm -hmm. you need to actually go do something and, and deal, learn how to deal with other kids and learn how to have another adult telling you what to do. It's actually really good for you, you know? So I think all that was good. And I mean, I, I don't know who I was back in high school. Honestly, I was so busy and I'm really not like that anymore. I'm like, wow, pour my energy into things that I'm really passionate about, but I don't feel like I have to always be doing something. I can sit on my couch and binge watch Bravo. And right. I don't have to do that. 
I'm like, yeah, That's I have, so cool I have two hear. hours. I'm going to sit. Like, my son's not here right now. I'm caught up on work. Yeah. And I, I couldn't do that back in high school, but I can definitely do that now. That's good to hear. I that's, think that's just healthy. so healthy. Yeah. That's just so healthy. Yeah, I, 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 I don't have a TV. I don't watch. I stopped watching <laughs> TV like years ago. I mean, I watch like little shows here and there. Well, that's and, probably and healthier than Netflix binge stuff. watching. Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would. I, I, I'm into Bravo though. I like Bravo. You know. So, um, I mean, that's the channel that has inside the actor's studio, right? With James Lipton oh. or. Whoever I I don't know that... because what I watch is Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so I don't I don't think we're talking about the same thing. No. Oh, well, maybe not. Maybe not. I haven't watched TV in a long time, so I really don't know. I'm out of I'm out of touch. But well, okay. But that is healthy. I think that's great that you could do that and just relax a little bit because I I feel like if you consider yourself somebody who could be busy and you're able to allow yourself to actually relax, that is that is that is a healthy thing. And it just depends on what you have going on in your life, what what choice you have to make. For me, it is hard to sit still and, and, and pick up a book and just read the book and not feel like, okay, I'm going to go on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing after that. Uh, most times I feel like it's cool, but then I find myself like at least one, one day of the week where my body and my brain are just like, nope, you're going to just chill you know and and it just does it for me and i don't fight it but i kind of wouldn't mind making the choice and be a little bit more conscientious about it yeah (laughs) so it's good you do it i do that too i'll be all out on work stuff or working for something fighting for something and then i just like need a break and i'll take a day or two and obviously i'm still a mom and a wife but i just you know veg Mm -hmm. out and read and relax walk my dog and i I'm glad that I'm at a point in my life where I don't feel guilty when I do that. I see it as something that's necessary yeah. instead of like, oh man, I just did nothing today. I'm like, yeah, okay, I actually rejuvenated myself today, you know? Hey, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So Kara, back when I oh, go ahead, John. Oh uh, well, I was just gonna ask the 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 big question because we talked about all the stuff and then I was just gonna dive into a little bit about uh what inspired the running and, and what mm-hmm. really when did it really start to pick up for you? So we kind of touched on it, but I'm I'm excited to kind of dive into that a little bit more after your no, question. Well, my question was the same. It seems like as a sophomore, you qualified for Foot Locker. So obviously you were running and training at some, to some level before you qualified for Foot Locker. How did you get started in running? And what what, what were some of the, your biggest memories about the earliest stages of your career? I actually started running really young. I started running when I was six. My grandpa took me to a mile race when I was six years old. My grandpa was a lifelong runner, really into running, really into like fitness. And so he took me to this mile race and he, you know, he, he's not, he's there, but he's not there mentally anymore. But up until like three years ago, he was still telling the story (laughs) of how he took me there and we were all lined up at the starting line. And I got tripped and fell and my knees were bleeding. And he was like, oh, great. I just ruined this for her. And he was shocked that I was like, they're getting away from us. And (laughs) took off after them. So (laughs) he's the one that got me into it. And, you know, Duluth is not, I mean, it is now as an adult. I see how it is. But when I was little, it was just like summer races. You know, he Mm -hmm. would take me or my mom would take me. And then when I was 12, I joined organized running. I joined my junior high cross country team. And then because of that, um, the high school coach invited me to come out for the track team in the in the fall or in the mm-hmm. spring. So I ran for the same coach, my high school coach from seventh grade through my senior year. Wow. Um, he was like a former discus thrower. He <laughs> wow. kept us at super low mileage. We only ran 30 miles a week, but we won the state t- championship in cross country four years in a row while I was there. Wow. And he just made it really fun, you know, yep. like. I have so many incredible memories about him and just how it was always focused on the fun. And it was always so focused on the team, which helped me because I was good, but then I felt like the pressure of being good. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I went through a really rough spot my senior year where I like finally went through puberty and started getting beat by a lot of people, including my little sister who was four years younger than me. Really? And he just always would help me focus on the team, the team, it's about more than you. And I'm just really grateful for that because he wow. would have been really easy for me to quit at that point. And he made me realize that I loved it. And I loved the team aspect and I loved the people I was around. That's so. really interesting. So were you actually running slower times and everything? Or was it just that, that she was really good and, and caught up to you? 
I mean, a little of both. I mean, yeah. I was definitely running it slower. I didn't PR. I ran my PR in like the two mile 3K when I was a, like a freshman. And I didn't beat that till I went to college. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Dang, that's yeah. crazy. Like, I just, I just, I went from being like 5'1 to I'm 5'8 now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, you know, like 80 pounds. And then I was a woman. And yeah. it just took a long time to adjust to like this body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, why do you think you're. How did you end up getting recruited by Colorado then? Because Colorado is a, an elite school, right? So, you obviously had the sophomore performance in in Foot Locker, but you're struggling as a junior or senior, and yet Colorado was still sort of, you know, recruiting you. Well, and... Colorado didn't recruit me. Oh, I sold no. myself to Colorado. Did you so really? I'm, yeah, so I made it to Foot Locker my sophomore and junior year, and then started to really struggle after that cross-country season. So then I had a year and a half of struggle. So I had made five visits, but I wasn't, like, really excited about any of them. I had always only wanted to go to one school, and when I dropped out of Foot Locker, that became no longer an option. And so I had oh. taken these five visits and I just wasn't really happy. And my mom was like, cause you're only allowed five paid visits. That's right. And my mom said, you know, I know you're not happy. I'll pay for you to go to one more school, but you know, make it count. Wow. <laughs> so I was like, I think I'm interested in Colorado. I remember Melanie Fairchild. She grew up in Boulder yep. and it always like seemed like a pretty place to be. So my mom, I mean, this is like before computer internet stuff, you know? So right. my mom like, Figured out the phone number for the track office. And so I called at night when I knew no one would be there. And I left a message and I was like, my name's Kara Wheeler <laughs> and I'm a state champion. And I went to Fall Locker twice and I've struggled, but I still want to run in college. And, you know, basically it was like, can I come visit? Really? So and yeah. then you, you took your visit <laughs> and obviously it worked out pretty well. You ended up deciding to go. Well, it was really funny because Mark was only the, the men's coach at that time. Oh, okay. um, there was a women's coach and the visit was crazy. Like she didn't, couldn't find me at the airport. So she just left. I mean, this oh, is like God. before cell phones, right? So I'm like, yeah. what? Mom. Yeah, I'm calling my mom on a pay phone. Minnesota. I'm like, no one's here. Um, I take like this, this super shuttle into Boulder into some random hotel. <laughs> but I just loved it here. It really reminded me of Minnesota. Everyone yeah. was outside. Everyone was like, I don't know. I just really loved it. And I loved the idea of being coached by a woman. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I met with Mark briefly. I didn't, I was like glad. I was like, I'm glad I don't have to run for that guy. He's so serious. And <laughs> like a month before school started, he, she called and she said, I'm quitting. Mark will be taking over the team. You'll be fine. You'll be in good hands. And I was like, what? Oh my um, gosh. Oh yeah. wow. Anyways, that's how I ended up there. And then of course, Mark and I became very, very close and yeah. He really molded my life. I mean, he is the reason why I was able to run professionally. And so I, it all ended up good. But yeah, I, you know, I had a great experience. I ran for Bob Larson at UCLA for a few years and then Eric Peterson for a couple of years when Bob retired. And I think of, you know, my, my relationship with Bob is sort of limited. It's not I don't have a, a really lifelong, you know, continual relationship with him. But he had a big impact on, on me as a as a you know, 19, 20 year old trying to figure out like who I am and, and, and running. And Mark is, uh, Mark Wetmore, for those of people who don't know, uh, just first names, he's the coach at Colorado and he's, you know, really such an accomplished, successful coach at the collegiate level. Yeah. He's coached so many Olympians and different things. What, what do you think sets him apart as a coach? Like what makes him so good at his job? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I just, I adore him. I mean, we had a period for years where we didn't speak, but you know, when I t- asked him if I could come back, he like opened, you know, like, mm-hmm. yes, when can you be here? Um, yeah. And I mean, we, we email each other like all the time. I, I stopped by to see him. So I don't, I think he's just, he has a way of speaking to you where you, you believe that you, like you want to do the work and see how good you can be. Mm-hmm. And you, you see running not as this like crazy thing, but as this like righteous thing, like, I'm going to put what I put into it. I'm going to get out and I'm going to, I like, he just makes you want to make all those little sacrifices. Yeah. And um, I don't know. He just has a way with words. He's so, I mean, it's funny because if you don't know him, he kind of is like quiet. He doesn't do a lot of interviews, but if you know him, he, his words have a lot of weight. And from he's the just, outside, uh-huh. he seems very intimidating. Just, just from a, yeah. just, just from like <laughs> watching him on the side at a, at a national meet or something like that. He just come, he strikes you as somebody who's super intense and, 
and kind of intimidating, but I've never had a conversation with him. I don't, I wouldn't know. Right? I know. And he can be really intimidating. I mean, when I got there as a freshman, I was super intimidated, but then we sort of just made this connection and it was mm-hmm. great. But I mean, you have, like, he's also the guy that like, when I'm like, oh, my Adam's, Adam's out of town and my nanny just canceled on me. I can't come to practice today. And he's like, I'll just, I'll take care of Colt, you know, like this was right, back when right. I was trying to make the Rio team. And so I remember doing like a 20 Jeez. mile long run and Colt's like in the car with Mark for <laughs> hours. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so sorry. Wow. Um, but so he has a really soft side and obviously Heather, his, um, the assistant, or I guess she's not even the assistant coach. She's the co-coach now, Heather Burroughs, who I was teammates with at Colorado. Uh-huh. Um, she's wow. And she's helped, you know, she's helped soften him up a little bit too. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Well, how about yeah? I I, I was just gonna say really quick, just about the coach athlete relationship. I, you know, I think it's really cool to 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 think back about that time in our lives, right? Because we all kind of have that common experience, all three of us, where we we get to compete at these high level schools, uh, UCLA, University of Colorado, and the coaches and the programs is a high level of expectation that comes with being on those teams and obviously being coaches of those teams. And I, and I, it's funny looking back at my relationship with my coach. I mean, I, I was mentored and, and connected with Coach Larson pretty much my entire career. But Coach Eric Peterson was my coach. And the relationship that I had with him, honestly, I mean, I for sure wouldn't have had the success that I, I had at all in my running career if it wasn't for him. And we ha- I had a little bit of, of, a, of a rocky relationship near the, near the end when I decided to to no longer work with him, but uh, my love for that man and for everything that he did for my career and just what he did for me is just beyond profound. I don't think about it often, but when I think about him, I'm so grateful for him, you know, and do you feel very in in the same way you kind of touched on it, but is, is that, is that the kind of relationship that you still have with Mark now uh, and, and the kind of feelings that you have with, with Mark in terms of just the impact that he had, not just on your running, but really, on your life. Yeah. I mean, Mark really was the first person who like really believed that I could do big things. Like he, mm-hmm. I was a struggling high school runner that used to be good, that used to be fast. And he was the one that really started planting that seed. Like you're the same person, you know, you just, you just got to weather this storm. And I hadn't had someone make me believe in myself like that, you know, on such a big, in such a big way. And then I went through a lot during that period of time. My mom was going through a really bad divorce and he really helped me mm-hmm. through that. Like I wanted to go by my um, legal name during that time. And he was like, it's as easy as this. Kara Gerges is entered in this meet, you know? And so, right. he, I mean, just like, I, just so awesome. And so I just had so much admiration for him. And yeah, when I, when we decided to leave, it was so hard. And just kind of like you Mm -hmm. said with your coach, it didn't go well. Um, Mm -hmm. But you have to. It's hard. It's so hard, right? And you're so invested in each other. And whether you want it or not, there's hurt feelings. I mean, I think the only coach that. Yeah. Like when I left Jerry, he he like gave me his plea to stay. And when I was like, no, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go. He was like, okay. I love you. And you're going to Mark Wetmore. It's going to be fine. You know, but every other relationship has <laughs> been hard when you leave and it's right. icky and it's, you get really close with people. Did your relationship with Mark, sorry to cut you off, no, Brian, no, no. just my last question on the coaching thing. It's, uh, did, did it inspire you to be, or does it inspire you, the relationship you had and what you gained from all of your coaches, even it's talking about your high school coach. That's an enlightenment for me about your career. That's very touching what he meant to you and what he means to you. Has that inspired you at all to, as a mentor, coach, as somebody that consults with people about your running? I love your website, by the way. It's so awesome. Um, <laughs> the way that you have it laid out and what you're, what you're, how you're connecting and building community through your site. Obviously, like giving back through your knowledge and experience is a big part of who you are. Does a lot of that come from the coaching experiences that you've had? Yeah. I mean, I'm in touch with every coach I've ever had, except for Salazar, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I still talk to my high school coach. <laughs> I still talk to Jerry. Mark, you know, he's he's always like hoping I'll come back and do another race, but I talk to him regularly. And like, they're just, they're really important people in my life. You're trusting yeah. them with something. You're trusting them with your career and with your life and with your livelihood. Yeah. And if they're, yeah. I don't know how people do it that don't trust and have a really big bond because it's, it's who you are. 
It's what you're trying to accomplish. You're trying to do these big things. So I've always had really good, deep relationships with my coaches. I would say Jerry was the least deep. And that's only because we're so similar in age mm-hmm. that we just make fun of each other all the time. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, I wouldn't go to him for advice. Yeah, I, mean, I was later in my career. I was a mother at that time. And you're, you know um, what you're doing. You've established yeah. a lot of stuff. And I mean, that. Totally. And I mean, don't get me wrong. We got along great. And I still am in touch with him. But it was just a little bit different. I was an adult. I was in my 30s at that point. And when I came back to Colorado, the relationship was also different. I was yeah. like, look, I don't want to be intimidated by you anymore. You know? yeah. I'm 35. I just want to like come to practice and have you tell me what to do and you trust that I'll do it. You know, and right. my life is right. different. I have a kid when I go home and, and, and Mark and Heather were totally open to that. So yeah. it worked out well. When you initially made the decision to switch, I think you left from Mark Wetmore and you went to Oregon and joined uh, the project at Nike. And there's a bunch of athletes there. I mean, a lot of top runners were, uh-huh. were training there. What was... Can you talk us through that decision? Like why, why Oregon at that time was it? What, what did you see in that, that you thought that's where I need to be? Yeah. So I was really struggling with injuries after I graduated from Colorado and, and to be fair, Mark's job is a college coach, That's right. Yeah. right? It's not to be mm-hmm. a professional coach. And so I kind of felt like, I don't know. I don't know if I have a place here as much anymore. Mm-hmm. I wasn't running well. I was injured a lot. Um, and so I started thinking about maybe talking to other coaches in Boulder. And then Adam was like, I need to change. You know, like he really struggled at the Olympic trials in 04. And he was like, I need to change. Like, I think we should think outside of Boulder. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't, we don't have kids. We're not tethered here. Like, and so that like really opened this whole door of like, Cause I was like talking to like Brad Hudson and Pete Julian at the time. Yep. And all, now all uh-huh. of a sudden it's like, there's so many options. So we definitely wanted to be together obviously. And we wanted to try to have the same situation where we were training together. Cause we love that. But so we went and started talking to coaches all over okay. and ironically wow. it came down to Wisconsin where Adam was going to be coached by Jerry and uh-huh. I would be coached by Tegan and then, or, Nike was like, we'd really like you to come out and just see what this team is about. Mm-hmm. And I got to mm-hmm. tell you, we went out to Oregon and the facilities, the, the care. I mean, I had been like driving to the Olympic Training Center nonstop to get treatment. And now all of a sudden that's at your right. disposal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And Alberto was just so great. And he was just like, I mean, he really wanted Adam. He didn't really know who I was, which is totally understandable. Adam was a huge star then. Yep. Um, but he was just like, give me six months. Don't sell your house. If you hate it, no hard feelings. You can go back. Yeah. And so we moved out there and within months, Adam had like turned it around and mm-hmm. I would, I got injured. Wow. I had surgery. Yeah. Really? <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, we're not leaving now. You know, like Adam is doing awesome. <laughs> and so like going to Wisconsin, I liked that because I'd be closer to my family yep. and I, I, you know, was going to get to train with Susie and Sarah Schwald, but it was sort of yeah. the same system again. Those were both college coaches, mm. uh, you know, and that has to be their priority. So we just felt like we had to, we had to give it a shot. There's a, there's kind of a trend actually in wow. your career yeah. that is interesting. In, in high school, you had a lot of success and then struggled and went through a period of struggle. And then in college, you had some success. And then as soon as you came, I mean, obviously success, you won a couple of national titles, you won the cross country title, as uh, successful as you can be in college. And then you had a, a period of struggle and it sounds like it lasted years. And mm-hmm. I'm really impressed that at that point, you, you were able to stick with it because years of struggle is the kind of thing that makes a lot of runners just stop, right? And, and move yeah. on. So what drove you, like what, what what drove you through those years, do you think? It, was it just that Adam was doing it and, and this is your lifestyle? Or do you think it was something bigger that you just you just knew you needed to figure it out? I think, you know, it was hard. I'm not going to lie. There were times where I would, like, try to stay in bed until Adam got back from practice because I didn't want to get up because, like, then what? And I would just – I mean, I passed up a postgraduate scholarship to run professionally, and I would be on the elliptical for two hours a day being, like, I could, like, be somebody. Yeah. You know, I could like oh, do some, wow. you know what I mean? And instead I'm watching Oprah yeah. and doing not, no, I mean, I love Oprah. No knock on Oprah. But <laughs> instead I'm like watching Oprah <laughs> two hours a day on my elliptical. So there was definitely dark moments. But the thing was, every time I thought about quitting, I knew I would regret it. I just mm-hmm. knew it, oh. you know, like I just, I knew that I had more 
And I would just get this pit in my stomach and I would be like, Ugh, I can't, I have to keep trying. I don't know. It was just like a psycho little mean yeah. voice in my head. So what was your first That's breakthrough? That's powerful. Then? What, yeah. what, what, what really, what was your first breakthrough coming out of that period where it all started to click? I mean, a, a lot of it was Alberto. We had, he just was so motivating. Um, I had surgery right after we got there, but then I stayed healthy. And then that first season, I ran a PR for the first time in like six years. Wow. And it was wow. like, oh my yeah. God, I, I am talented. You know, like I'm uh-huh. not crazy. <laughs> like I, I can do this. And, and then yeah. I just was able to stay healthy with the system there. And, you know, then 2006, everything started clicking. I was PRing and everything and, and meeting world championship standards. And then I was like, this is, this is a reality. Like my dream of becoming an Olympian, like it doesn't seem so great. It seems like it's actually could happen. Mm-hmm. And then of course in 07, I won a medal at the world championships. And then it was just like, like my I, life just totally changed then. Yeah. I, I remember Overnight. watching that race and yeah. the whole race thinking like, she's still there. She's still there. She's still there. You know, you're just like, I don't know you. I'm just like, she's still there and, and cheering for you. And, and later Shalane had a similar experience where she was hanging in there in, in, uh, in the, I think it was the Olympics. I can't remember for her. Mm-hmm. And just it's, it's been so great watching Americans compete at that level. And, and it's very inspirational to watch it. I'll find the video. I'll put it in the show notes for anybody listening. They can, they can see the video. It's a great performance. I, if I'm not mistaken, you finished third, but then ended up being moved up to second with a, with a doping violation. If I'm, was it, well, you, maybe yeah. you can tell this better yeah. than me. Yeah. I, I mean, it was in 2007, <laughs> it was yeah. 13 years ago. Right. Um, and I finished third. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I mean, yeah. I like literally knocked over the girls that got first and second. I was like, that just I remember your happened. arms, your arms up in the air, and just you know, like to the I joy. was going crazy. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. You know, like I couldn't believe it, and I was like, seriously, like Debato was like, who is this bee? You know, I was like yeah, knocking yeah. her out of the way. Uh, I'm like, it was crazy. Like my life just it changed overnight. I mean, Sonia yeah. Richards Ross woke me up the next morning calling to congratulate me. I started getting paid. I started getting on cover magazines. I could get in. Before that, I couldn't get into a race unless Adam was competing. Wow. And all of a sudden, I can go wherever yeah. I want. And I actually was getting paid, you know? Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, so I always was like, never looked at that race in any negative light. The woman that finished right ahead of me in second had a bad reputation, mm-hmm. but she had mm. never failed a test. And, you know, we got, we got blood and urine after the race that night, and it came back clean, and it is what it is. And a lot of people have bad reputation, but without a positive test, you know? Yeah. Um, Right. And so I never even thought about it. And then in 2015, I get a call from, or I get a text from Chris Chavez and he's like, how does it feel to be the silver medalist? And I'm like, in what? what? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then that started a very long process of like, she fought it. And then, um, and then in 2017, it became official and I went to an award ceremony, but they didn't have medals. So I actually got my medal this year. Yeah, I saw the pictures. I think it yeah. I you posted the pictures. It's sort of you and, and it was and so Adam and crazy. Cole. It was just like, okay, yeah, yeah. Close that chapter. Yeah. Well, it fits with yeah, a lot of what good. you're working on now too, with uh, anti-doping and that experience, which I want to yeah, right. talk about a little bit. Go ahead, John. No, I was just gonna say it's got to be a little bit uh, like. I think this is that's that's the part of it that you know. I think we talked about earlier uh, before we started. Uh, the, the, the show here, but uh, that's the part, that's what I get fired up about when I think about that is that it's, it's, it's not even about the metal. It's about the moment. Yeah. You know, that's, we work for, and I believe wholeheartedly, again, being older, thinking about the journey to those moments, you know, I didn't have that moment in, in a lot of ways. I had, I had some podium moments, which is cool and smaller, lesser known championships all, obviously super important and rel- significant and, and magical in its own way, but not like a world championships or a Commonwealth games or an Olympics. And when I know from my peers, when I think about it uh, with the, 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 with the performance enhancing drugs and when, when people do get popped and then I see that they get moved up and, and, the, and the metal uh, by a medal or so, and it's great that they get moved up and they get what they earned, but the moment's gone. And, and, and that's mm-hmm. the part where I feel so frustrated for you guys because you dream of that moment for so long and when, when it gets taken away or when it comes in a different way, it's almost like, well, it's its own different moment, but it doesn't really make up for what was, what was, uh, you know, taken away. Do you, you know, feel, do you feel 
that way, even though you still got to be on the podium and stuff, does it change anything for you or? I mean, I went through a period of being angry because I always felt so lucky. Mm-hmm. I was like, it was the slowest race on record. A bunch of the favorites dropped out because it was so hot. Mm-hmm. And I always just felt like I was so lucky to be in the best shape of my life at the right moment. Right. Yep. I mean, I ran 32 minutes to get that bronze medal. It's not like I ran 30-30. You know what yeah. I mean? So I always just felt so lucky. And I thought, wow, what if I had only been two seconds behind the win? Yeah, yeah exactly. I would have thought like, no, I'm not lucky. I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that yeah. little, yeah. I always felt I'm really lucky. I'm a good scrappy racer. I'll just get myself in position and at some point it'll pay off. And that's how I viewed the marathon as well. But maybe I would have thought a little differently. And obviously the financial stuff is, it's, it's tough to add it up. Um, mm. yeah. but, but my life did change profoundly. Yes. Yeah. I did get a ton of financial gain. I did get a ton of opportunity. I think as someone like Alicia Montano or Joe Pavey, yeah. They didn't get any of that. You can give them a medal now. It's too late. Well, okay. Now, see, now, now I get even angrier. Yeah, so like, yes. Uh, like the best, like, man, you know. The best articulation uh, I, I heard of this was Susie Favor Hamilton. Uh, she's retired, and Regina Jacobs got busted for however many years of, of whatever she was doing. I don't know the details. And Susie Favor Hamilton was on an interview or something, and she said, look, that's years of my life that I was not getting first place when I should have been getting first place. I was not getting the endorsements. I was not getting these things because Regina Jacobs was getting all of them, right? And when she said it that way, I thought to myself, oh, like how much does that take away from the clean athletes? It's, it's, and it's emotional, right? Emotional, yeah. I mean, we all knew Regina was dirty. I'm sorry, we all did. Okay. And yeah. she's coming <laughs> up against her. And it's just like frustrating. You're just like the yeah. emotional anguish of constantly having to do that. I mean, I've gone through that in some of the races in my career where I know I'm not facing a level playing field, but knowing every time I line up in the United States or, or abroad, I have to face this person that I know is not doing it the right way. It's just mm. like, it just beats you down. Yeah. You're like, why am I doing it? Well, speaking of that, because this is this is kind of interesting, because so you've had uh, obviously a, an amazing career. Looking back at your competitive running career and the trials, the tribulations, the successes that you had, what are some key things that you apply to your life now and are 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 clearly going to be applying to your life as you work towards other things? Like, what what are some lessons that you learned competing uh, at the highest level? I mean, honestly, like the biggest life lesson I've gotten out of running is, is patience. Things take time. I can't tell you how many times I'd be on the sidelines watching people I knew I was just as good as getting Mm -hmm. attention or winning races. And I just was like, I just, my time will come. Mm -hmm. And now as I move forward with trying to change some things in the industry, it takes time. You can't quit because you don't get it right away. That's running. That is running. Like running is you know, the more years you stay healthy, the better it gets. And so you have to commit for this long haul. Uh-huh. And I think that's helped me just look at my life of like, okay, what is it that I care about now? But I, but remain calm, patient. I'm aware it's going to take time. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's the, the best answer ever. All <laughs> 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 right. <laughs> yeah, no, because that's, that's, um, I, I feel like uh, I feel like that's the thing that I'm every single day right now, especially like I've gone through some stuff this last year and a half. And I'm so grateful for every moment because of everything that I had gone through. And um, I think that that's the thing that I tell myself all the time is like, man, even if it's even if it's just an inch forward, that is just huge. I'm like, I might not get to the mountaintop kind of kind of thing. You know, like when Martin Luther King said in his speech, I think about that all the time. I'm like, I might not get to the top, but it says, man, I'm going to tell you someday we're going to get there. That's how I feel about like everything that I'm working on now. I'm like, man, I don't know how far this is going to go, but I sure as, sure as heck I'm glad I'm working on it, that I'm making progress, that I'm waking up today, that I'm still alive because you have to be patient. You have to be patient. You don't know how fast things are going to work out. And the fact that you could say that that was like one of the biggest lessons you got out of it. I, I'm so glad for all of our listeners 
that grab that's the nugget for me like right there like that's such a big deal um and i'm so glad that you said that kara so you right now can you talk a little bit about to whatever extent you want to talk about your personal experience in in, in with oregon and everything that's i'll leave that to you but right now in the terms of fighting anti-doping uh what are you working on now i know you're busy and you're you're very present in that world and i'm curious to know like sort of what some of those projects are so that anybody who's listening can follow along and p- contribute or at least be aware of what's happening in that space. Yeah. So as far as the Oregon stuff, the Oregon project stuff's concerned, I am going back to testify again in the appeal mm-hmm. and I'm working really hard to make sure that that ban sticks. I mean, actually I'm hoping it'll be even longer, but, um, this is the ban for uh, Alberto Salazar for the, uh, there might be other people involved too. I'm not sure all the names, but, but, uh, with the Oregon project mm-hmm. and, and anti-doping yep. and stuff, right? Yep. yep. Okay. And I'm, I'm hoping we're, we're, we have to go up against a, a new panel, which I, I'm excited about, um, three fresh faces and three fresh minds. Um, so I, I'm stressed about it because mm-hmm. it's not fun. But so that's my focus there is making sure that that sticks because I think it's good for the sport. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, I, I'm a part of this Clean Sport Collective. And it was started by my friend, Shanna Burnett, and then the CEO of New. And they started it in reaction to what Adam and I were going through with fighting this Oregon Project situation. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so I wasn't really involved with it when it first started, but I went to an anti-doping conference in London last April in 2019. And I was like, you know what? They kept talking about the athlete voice. And I was like, I want to be involved in the Clean Sport Collective. Like, I want to be on the board if you guys will have me. And I want to do more. Mm-hmm. And Shanna was like, mm-hmm. thank God, I've been waiting for you to say that. You know? so, <laughs> <laughs> I officially joined the board and we have so many things we want to accomplish, but the first thing we wanted to accomplish was give athletes a voice. Yep. So we started a podcast about a year ago and it's been so fulfilling. We haven't had a single athlete say no ever. Mm-hmm. We have people asked to be on, they want to share their experience. Um, yep. So that's been incredible. And then one, one of our big goals for this year was to get an educational platform done that athletes that sign the clean sport pledge could take into schools and talk to kids like a Molly Huddle or a Emily mm-hmm. Sisson or a, you know, Alicia Montano. But with COVID, everything is really slowed down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But we still have really big goals for that. And we, you know, we would, I would encourage any listener to go over to cleansportcollective.org and sign our pledge. You can be a fan, you can be a coach, you can be an athlete, you can be a pro, you can be a race director. You could be a sponsor. Mm-hmm. There's a place for you to support clean athletes. And it's, it's a pledge. And I get asked all the time, could someone just lie and take the pledge? Well, of course <laughs> they could. <laughs> but there's some pride in taking this pledge and saying, yeah. I'm going to wear this on my sleeve. And um, so, yeah, it's been really fun and rewarding. Well, what I read on the website that was pretty interesting was for the professional athlete, if you sign that pledge and you get popped, you're saying that you're committed to donating X number of dollars or contributing X number of dollars to, uh, I forget what the name of it is. Is it to Clean Sport Collective or is it some, some or, or another foundation? But that's part of the professional athletes right. pledge. Um, yeah. Can you talk about that just for a second? Yeah, so that was, I said, whoa. We wanted to have some teeth in it, right? Mm-hmm. So that people yeah. aren't just like, yeah, I'll sign that. Like they're saying, okay, wow, if I, if I get caught, I'm saying that I won't race professionally anymore and I'll, you know, I have to give this, donate this money to a big, better cause. Mm-hmm. Wow. Legally, <laughs> I don't really know if we could uphold it. Um, <laughs> But, uh, we just thought it was important to put some teeth in it. And, and the athletes that have signed it are, are proud to sign it. And that's yeah. one of the things we've been discussing is should it be a yearly renewal? So you have to recommit every year. Um, mm-hmm. But we, we have a bunch of sponsors on there. And with a sponsor signs the pledge, if you have someone test positive, you have to let them go. And that's come up twice wow. for two different brands. And they oh, did it. Interesting. <clears throat> can I ask? They did. Can yeah. I ask? Oh, good. Nice. Can I ask yeah, Noon and Brooks. Yeah. For, when you draw, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? I cut you off. I, I oh no, no. Talking. Just it happened with Noon Hydration and with Brooks, and they both let that athlete go. Nice. Yeah. That's that's fantastic. Um, I, I guess I want to ask this question because you trained as an elite athlete, knowing that there were other athletes out there that you were going to compete against who were not uh, clean or or you know not following the rules. What do you think is the right way or how did you go about drawing the line on what you were willing to do and what you were willing to try what you were willing to you know 
I don't know, technology you're willing to use or other things. Like, did you have a, a clear line that you are always maintaining? Or I feel like at the edges, it does start to get kind of fuzzy, right? It, it's very mm-hmm. clear for a while. And then it seems like, you know, I'm, I'm going to make this up. I don't really know the answer, but like thyroid medication or something like this. Like, There's something where it's like, well, you know, like it, it's it's really, it gets into this like an, an, an ambiguous place. And you may disagree with me. So please do. The, you, I'm sure you know more about this than me. But I, I have heard a significant number of pro athletes maybe are using like, like thyroid medications and stuff. And so... I've always struggled with this not being an elite athlete and not really knowing how the world works in those systems and with those with those facilities and stuff as to how the lines get drawn and and if that's on an athlete basis if that's on a like organ project basis you know like a team or 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 organization can you talk a little bit about that and for you personally how how you saw where the line needs to be yeah so i I, first of all, anything that's on the ban list, of course, you know, yes. you just don't mess with it or methods, right? You don't get an ID because you can't get an ID. You don't, mm-hmm, whatever right. it is, you just don't do any of that stuff. Um, as far as the other medications, this is where it gets cloudy because if you have a doctor that prescribes you something, I mean, technically you're allowed to use it. Yeah. Legal. Like, it's it's legal, legal totally. even if it's not mm-hmm. moral, right? Like you get these, these right. sort of, these yeah. sort of boundaries. We've seen, of... That. we've seen that with... Yep. inhalers, um, allergy medication that yeah. opens your lungs, um, thyroid medications, mm-hmm. not typically like Synthroid, but other medications that may help your performance. Mm-hmm. And you may have medical need, but you may not. Yeah. I feel like John yeah, wants to say something. That, <laughs> well, I, I saw the same about it because I had, I had a you know, a personal experience with it as well in terms of just uh, the, well, you could, again, I, I, I don't want to pretend that I'm a super like well read on this and, and, and everything I need to be because I'm passionate about this for sure. But the thing that I, I had to t- t- tiptoe around was uh, after I was diagnosed with uh, FSGS, a, a terminal kidney disease after the 08 Olympics. Uh, a few years later, I ended up having experimental stem cell treatment for my kidney disease and it definitely changed how I felt physically. We're still trying to figure out how to talk about it from a, um, you know, uh, progressive standpoint for the, for chronic kidney disease. But it helped me. It helped me tremendously. I noticed a world of a difference in terms of how I was feeling after having the treatment as it relates to the impact that my kidney disease was having on me physically and my ability to recover and feel all that stuff. But I'm like, I'm so like uh um i i feel so like i have such high standard for myself i'm like i i don't like taking ibuprofen i don't like taking when i have headaches i don't like taking i was so hesitant to take nutritional supplements so when i had this treatment and i felt kind of superhuman i was like we got to double check on all this you know and i had to you know fill out a, a therapeutic use exemption form with my doctors and explain this literally was trying to save my life. It wasn't because I wanted to enhance my performance, but I got to tell you, uh, in many ways, it felt like it did. It helped me, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to what extent? I don't know. Mentally, I wasn't able to really wrap my mind around competing at the highest level like I was before I was diagnosed. So I struggled psychologically for many years um, after the diagnosis. But I do know that the stem cell treatment made me feel better. It made me feel different. And I felt physically better and more capable uh, than I did before I had it. And that that was an actual need. And I'm like, boy, I couldn't imagine trying to justify stem cells if it wasn't for a a medical reason. And that's just sharing my personal experience with dealing with USADA and WADA and, 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 and having something that were, there was an actual medical need for treatment, you know, that I seemed all that I felt also seemed to help me, performance-wise. Yeah. But see, that's why there is the TUE system, because there are right. places you needed that, not just for running, for mm-hmm. life, right? Yeah. So there is a therapeutic use exemption built in for people like you who are having these extreme circumstances that are out of your control, that you need this treatment to be a human, let alone an athlete. Yeah, to be a human, right. The, the difficult part is that we've seen a lot of this in cycling and now in running, we're seeing people get therapeutic use exemptions just for performance benefit. And we saw a lot of this with the fancy bears, the Russian hackers that release people's medical information, which is, you know, totally illegal. But we saw a lot of that, of people abusing medications 
And so this is where I feel like I'm nervous for the sport. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm nervous for it in a lot of, a lot of areas, <laughs> if I'm being totally honest, but we are starting to see medicalization of our sport. And it's Mm. who has, can afford a doctor who's, who has the money to constantly get their value so they can take these medications that maybe they don't need, but make sure that everything is, you know, they're not having any adverse reactions. And we just saw a big thing out of the UK about this. It's starting to be who's willing to, who's willing to take the most risks and who's Mm -hmm. will, who has a doctor and who's willing to take the most risks. And I don't like that. I don't like that at all. And I, you know, I, when I was at the Oregon Project, I saw a lot of my teammates take medications that I was never tested for or, or asked to take. And I got to be honest, if I'm being totally honest, at, there were times where I was like, why don't they want me to do it too? Uh-huh. I mean, it's crazy that I would yeah. say that, but that's sort of how I felt at times. Yeah, now yeah. I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> um, but it's tough. That's the other thing I just want to say is that I used to see it as very black and white. The athlete's either bad or good. Um, But now taking a step back and even thinking about the influence that I was under and the culture, um, I do feel bad for a lot of the athletes because I feel like they, I mean, they still have a choice. Of course they do, but it's presented to them in a way that they feel like they don't. Mm -hmm. Uh And that's why I think it's important to hold coaches and staff and doctors accountable, not just the athlete. Well, I, I think it's great that you guys uh, are, you know, you've established this platform that gives athletes a voice and a place to have a conversation. Uh, I, I have to mention it because I, I, I love Michelle and Barack Obama. So I, Michelle Obama's ep- uh, first episode on, on Spotify came out and I was listening to her and Barack talk about uh, stuff and it was, it's a, it's a wonderful podcast. But the thing I loved about the theme of her podcast is, you know, in order, she says, in order to have a conversation, you have to start one. And, and I think that uh, that's, that you, you have to start it, right? And I think that's really important because that's what you guys are doing is, is we can't really get anywhere unless we're talking about it. And it's really hard to really have a meaningful conversation without going through a lot of conversations and mm-hmm. kind of trying to develop a sense of clarity, uh, um, at least at least from for, for for a few parties involved it might not be able to get everybody talking but uh, you know the the biggest party in terms of uh, who can stop it and this is what i my point in the article series is the series of articles i wrote that got picked up by espn.com was that i said at the end of the day it's a huge part of stopping it is 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 the athletes themselves like uh, ultimately like if we're not taking anything, if we're saying no to everything, if we're questioning everything, it kind of makes it hard for us to cheat, you know? So I was like, we have to have those conversations to give one another the courage to stand up and say, uh, wait a minute, what's going on? Uh, who's doing what? Uh, what should I be thinking about? And you guys are doing that, which is, which ultimately means you're empowering the athletes to take control of their sport and ultimately the, the, the sport's future. So, that's a really amazing thing that you guys are doing. And it is one of the most important aspects of a really of a long term solution that we we so desperately need to find. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I love it. And I can't wait to hopefully share, add my voice to that conversation, you know, as I believe in it. Carol, when you we're kind of wrapping up near, near the end here and you you put a lot of energy into the Clean Sport Collective and you've got your podcast are there any other big projects that you're working on that you would like to talk a little bit about before we wrap this up? Yeah. I mean, I really am proud to be with the brands I'm with at Wazelle. I've become an advisor now instead of an athlete, which mm-hmm. has been really fun, um, helping you know, to diversify our brand and make it more inclusive. So that's been fun. Um, I run with Ultra. And I've been working on shoe development there, which I'm really excited about, but it won't come out till 2022. Um, <laughs> and just just some change in the industry as far as like contract reform. I'm really big on contract reform for women, for maternity standpoint, yeah. but also what John was just saying, what can help prevent drug use. I think the way the contracts are written right now where you have to race a certain amount of times or meet certain standards, that actually holds athletes in a bad place. Um, oh, interesting. Can you explain make choices? That? Yeah, like if you have to be ranked top 10 in the world or top two in the US or you right. have to run a certain 
time and you're having an off year or you're competing against people you know aren't clean, it kind of puts the mm-hmm. athlete in a bad position of like, I might have to do this or I'm going to get reduced. Yeah. Um, so I would love to see reform. And I know there are some brands that are doing it, but I'd love to see it across everybody. Everybody join forces and say, we're going to eliminate some of these, the way some of these contracts are written. Cause right now we're encouraging people to take the wrong path. We, we spoke a little bit mm, in, a, in, a, in right. a podcast that hasn't come out yet with a runner, Elisa Harvey. She's been a successful runner, masters, everything. And, and we talked a little bit about the maternity contracts. And I, I actually, since you just brought that up, did you have any issues when you decided to have a kid? And, and, and contractually, was your contract a significant decision like, that you had to consider at that time about whether to have a kid or not? It was significant. I knew I, I always wanted to be a mom. I mm-hmm. always wanted to be a mom. And I knew I didn't want to wait till my career was over. I had fertility issues. I didn't want to wait and be in my 40s and then find out I just can't be a mom. Um, so I was very mm-hmm. open with my sponsor about it, my coach. Um, so I told them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to go through fertility treatment. I just want to know what's going to happen to my contract. I was told nothing would happen. Don't worry about it. Stay relevant. And then six months into my pregnancy, I was suspended indefinitely. Really? So yeah, <laughs> no pay, no, no idea when it's going to be flipped back on, um, which caused me to return to racing really too soon. Um, and oh. I suffered injuries really honestly for the rest of my career because I wasn't fully healed. And I, I mean, I ran Boston six months postpartum, which seemed like this crazy good victory, Yeah. but I wish I hadn't done that um, right. for my long-term career. So th- that's in the past. I can't go back, but I sure as hell can fight for the women now. Yeah. and make sure that no one else yeah. is put in that position. It's just such an unhealthy perspective. And during that time, my popularity was soaring. I was like on the cover of magazines. I was talking about healthy pregnancies. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there was no reason why, because I wasn't ranked X in the US, I wasn't valuable to my brand. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's the wrong measure, right? If you're measuring the wrong thing, you're going you're gonna to produce the wrong results. And that's, that's what I take from that. It's very frustrating. I was literally oblivious to this issue until uh allison felix and elisa montagna started to like they're they're the ones i associate with it as as escalating it as a as a major issue and it's the kind of thing like i i start i find myself wondering how many of these sort of hidden aspects of the system like the, the way the contracts are established or the way the sponsorships work or the way these things are there that that it takes a car starting a conversation as john was saying like you you can't you can't fix it until you can at least have a conversation. And I wouldn't even know to start a conversation about it because it's, it's just invisible for me. So right. I, I think yeah. it's every one of these cases where somebody brings it up, I'm, I'm really glad that it's being brought up. It feels a little bit overwhelming when you think about, oh my God, look at all these, look at all these systemic issues we have to resolve. <laughs> but, um, but, but you know the maternity thing? I, I was asked to do this video. I was like, I can't do it. I, Nike hates me so much already. So Alicia agreed to do it. And then I was just in the article. And then a week later, Allison joined us. And I have to say that led to immediate change. Yeah. Companies everywhere were amending their contracts. And eventually the biggest fish in the net, Nike changed their contract. And so I had been sitting on this for years, devastated about what happened. I mean, I, I mean, everyone at Nike knew what happened because I went all the way to the top and tried to fix it. But I didn't feel like I could talk about it with anyone. Yeah. And it was, I started talking about it maybe three or four years ago, but I was like, I don't want anyone to print anything about it. And it, and it was Alicia saying, I'll stand on the front line if you stand right behind me. Uh, I was like, okay, let's do this. And yeah. then Allison was like, she was a source. And then uh-huh. when we did it, she was, well, really Alicia was the face of it. She said, okay, I'll do it. And, and just those three women coming together, it changed everything. So yeah. I just think we have more power than we think. And, uh, and it's amazing what can get done when we come together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in this one, I think it's great that it's changing. And, and I hope that if it's not what it needs to be, that you guys keep pushing and get it to where it needs to go. Because I, I assume the first change is a big Im- improvement, but it's probably not it's probably not with the end where it needs to end, right? And, you're um, totally right, yeah. And it's, you know, <laughs> it's going to yep. take patience. But obviously, you're the right person on that regard to have the patience to keep working on this. It's it's become a theme for you. And it's really inspiring. And I, I love what you're doing. Uh, we didn't really get to talk much about your Instagram success. Oh. <laughs> we didn't get to talk about your marathon career at all, which is, uh, you know, like, that's gonna be kind of funny when I think about this. But um, 
maybe at some point in the future uh, we can have you back on and we can cover some of these other things. I think um, we're it's been such a joy to talk to you and and I love your candidness and your 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 I guess that's not the right word candor. I don't, anyway, English is not my strong suit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're in Japan. We yeah, exactly. forgive you. You're so used to talking Japanese all the time. John, any, yeah, any last I mean, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is is I'm still giddy about this whole interview. First of all, but um, uh, even an hour into it, I'm like, okay, let's uh, next hour. Here we go. No, I just feel like it, it's you're so much more than you're running, Kara. Uh, clearly, and um, and that's why I was so excited to have you on because um, you know I I always try to tie it back to what we're what what we're doing here uh, with our brand at Go Be More. It's about the message. It's about the story more than anything else. You know, I mean, we're an apparel brand and we're designing cool designs to put on clothes so people could be inspired to, to improve their lives. But ultimately, we just want people to see the value in who they are. You know, that's that's really what it's all about for us. And I think that knowing that you're not just one thing and that you, it's it's important to find things worth fighting for and having examples of what that looks like um, I see that in you. And so for us to be able to have this conversation, um, again, that goes beyond, you know, the track goes beyond the running is important. These are great conversations to have. And it's always great to have uh, wonderful examples for all of us to look at. Um, so, again, thanks for sharing, you know, uh, pieces of your story with us. Uh, and it's been just a wonderful conversation. Uh, so thank you. No, thank you. Thank you both for what you're doing. You guys are really inspirational and it's awesome to hear all of your different guests. And just like you said, your Gobi more. I love that. It's about being more than one thing, being more than just yourself, right? Being mm -hmm. a part of a community, yeah. helping lift others. So it's awesome. So I'm very thrilled to be on with you guys. Thank you, Kara. Can, before we <laughs> close, where, where should people go to find you? Yeah, I'm super. Yeah, no, no. I'm super bad at <laughs> I, I forget about Facebook, so don't, I mean, I am on there, but I usually Twitter and Instagram. Twitter, I'm much more business, you know, mm -hmm. what I'm mad about. <laughs> um, Instagram <laughs> is more of a mix of things that I'm passionate about, sometimes things that I'm mad about, but it's a, it's more personal. A lot, you'll see my son on there a lot. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's really sweet. Just Kara Goucher, yeah. Yeah, uh, perfect. And uh, and we'll we'll link in the show notes to other other sites that are the Clean Sport Collective, some other things. People can can find those links uh, in their podcast player or on our website. So Kara, thank you again so much for joining us, and we wish you continued patience and resolve as you keep working on all these things. And we will be following you on Instagram and and thank you again for joining us on the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks. Thank you all for tuning in. You can find links to any articles or items we referenced in the show notes. Please subscribe and be sure to give us a rating. And remember to tell a friend about the show. The Gobi Moore podcast is produced by Gobi Moore Apparel. Check us out at gobimore.co. For all of us at Gobi Moore, we are what the world is chasing, and we hope this podcast helps you become what the world is chasing too.